Welcome to Let's Open the Bible as we return with Russ and Gavin coming to you today. Uh, we welcome you in, listener. Thank you for joining us. We have, in our most recent uh, episodes, been looking at Jeremiah chapter 5. We're going to pivot away from Jeremiah chapter 5. Um, Gavin and I have been talking here this morning for the last hour or so, and we're going we're gonna to maybe walk through Mark chapter 5, hopefully, We'll, we'll get all the way through the chapter in this series of episodes, but uh, we'll see. Uh, but in Mark chapter 5, listener, if you're not familiar, there's uh, some impossible situations. And uh, a big part of this stems from a, a Bible study that uh, he occasionally comes to that I generally go to every week. And, uh, and, and that study has been in, in Mark and recently in Mark chapter 5. And it, it occurred to me today that... Uh, you know, we all deal with impossible, what seems to be impossible situations to us. We all have those, whether it's, you know, some type of diagnosis. We know people that have been given a diagnosis that uh, seemed like it was uh, the end of life for them uh, or just financial cir circumstances, any number of circumstances that, that may, may seem impossible. And we see other examples of that throughout Scripture. David and Goliath seems like a, an impossible situation. There are others. Uh, but that's certainly what we see in Mark chapter 5. There are three, three of those. And so I'm going to ask Gavin to, uh, to open us in, in prayer, and then I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 of this uh, demoniac. I don't even know if I'm saying that well. It doesn't really matter. And then uh, we'll just uh, walk through on more of a, a, on a micro level, and, but just try not to lose sight of the bigger picture of this account of the demon possessed. So we're going to do something real quick that I usually don't like. I, I'm not a big fan of the podcast that start out with, uh, you know, 15 minutes of advertisement or, you know, uh, you know, 10 minutes of sidebar discussion. But, but what, what is, uh, is there anything going on in your life where people keep asking, you know, questions about certain issues right now consistently? I can't think of an example. Okay. Uh, I, it's just been a, a lot of things have come up. Uh, continuationism and cessationism has come up repeatedly lately. And then the other one that's come up uh, a lot lately is theonomy, you know, the, the, the government of God, um, especially as newscasters, more and more newscasters are talking about Christian nationalism and um, and uh, Christian extremists. And, you know, that, that uh, you know, one more well-known clip now of a newscaster saying that, you know, these these Christians believe that they're, that they're the right, their rights are given to them by God instead of the government. They don't believe that the Constitution gives them their rights or some, you know, the law. And she said this as a negative. Like we actually believe God is is the the, the giver of every good and perfect gift and the rights that we have. And and she put down Christian quote unquote Christian nationalists that believe that God, you know, bestows on them inalienable rights. Where have I heard that before? Hmm. <laughs> you know. So we don't get our rights from kings or governments. We get our rights from God himself. There are certain things that we have been endowed with endowed with uh, by our creator. Yeah, amen. So it's just been coming up a lot lately, and I thought maybe there's in the future some things we, that we could talk about. We have talked about some of, uh, some of those things. Yeah. So All right. Good. Yep. Let's open up in prayer, and then we'll read. Perfect. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before your throne of grace, understanding uh, God, you are God, and there is no other. You are I am you're not becoming, you are, and you always were, and you always will be, you are. Heavenly Father, I do pray that not only would Russ and I take our thoughts captive to obey Christ today, that your word would take our thoughts captive uh, as, as we seek to obey Christ today, but but that, God, we would see you as the standard of, of all things true, of all things lovely, of all things good, of all things worthy to be praised. God, you are the standard. You are our first principle. You are God. May we be anchored into you. 
Heavenly Father, I do pray that the words of our mouths today and, and the meditation of the hearts of those who listen in our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Again, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Well, there you go. That sounds awful. Yep. So let's start at the be- uh, very beginning. It's a, it's the, at the beginning, it's a very good place to start. They, they. Uh, this flows from the preceding uh, chapter in which Jesus takes his disciples away privately, um, and then he calms the storm. and And uh, in the very last line of Mark four forty one, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, "Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him?" So we're getting uh, the context of Jesus being authoritative over all things. He is God. You're, you're, this is divinity displayed. And uh, not only is God alone uh, the governor of the winds and the waves and and uh, all of nature, but now we're going to see how uh, even the demons shudder. At the, at the voice of Jesus and obey, right? Yeah. Okay, so Perfect. they, the disciples, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, the Gadarenes, you said, the Gerasenes. So the Vulgate in Latin, the Latin Vulgate reads of the Gerasenes. So, you know, same place. Anything you want to add to that? Mm-mm. No, just be aware that sometimes things look differently, and uh, and we trust that in the original autograph, everything is perfectly inspired, every jot and tittle is meaningful. But in uh, we have very reliable texts, you know. So if you pick up your King James version, if you pick up an ESV and NASB, those are those are great. Uh, CSB, those are great uh, translations of scripture. Right. All right. Um, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately. Um, anything you want to make note of there? Well, you know, we, we see that word uh, used a lot, maybe more so in Mark yes. than in any, yep. any other book of the Bible, but immediately, you know, it uh, uh, seems to be Mark's go-to, and, and it just speaks to the uh, uh, how the timing of events, this, there, there wasn't a delay. I, I don't know why Mark seems to be in such a hurry. Everything happens immediately. Uh, but it, you know, it is, it is one of the, uh, books of the Bible that, um, certainly highlights specific things. Every one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is written to a specific audience. Uh, I think it is, uh, Mark's gospel that is, is written to an audience that is less concerned about, uh, the doctrinal aspects, say of a, of a book like Matthew, which deals more with doctrinal things and is, is more focused. His audience seems to be more focused on the actions of Christ. Right. And so the immediately, immediately, immediately is going to lead, I think culminates in the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, it ultimately culminates in the cross, but the immediately, the immediately, and then all of a sudden there's this break where Jesus understands the need of rest and the need to see him as high and lifted up as transfigured before them. So in Mark nine, 
uh, at the transfiguration. First of all, that's such a jarring account. Some people believe that it is a post-resurrection. It's so jarring, the magnificence and glorious nature of Christ in the transfiguration, that some people move it to after his resurrection, which we don't. I mean, we believe that it is inspired and, and rightly and correctly placed where it is, but uh, but the Mount of Transfiguration. So it's jarring in its very nature, but then it's also in Mark jarring because it's this rest in the midst of, of this immediate running, 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 running. And then uh, the, the disciples at the right time, Jesus takes them up at the right time. He could have, uh, uh, you know, we would believe that he could do it at any time. He takes them up at the perfect time to give them a vision of him that, that uh, uh, strengthens them for the work that is to continue. And then yeah. he goes back down off the mountain, and they continue work. It, it Peter was the inner circle, though. Right, it wasn't and, all of them. Right, yeah. right. And 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 Peter and Peter. Well, and and you know, Paul in, in Romans one talks about how he longs to see people that he might impart some spiritual gift to them that they they may be strengthened and encouraged by the mutual faith of of one another. So I think when they come down off the inner circle, when they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, they will be an encouragement to those around them by their word. By right. this is what we've seen, and that mutual faith will edify and encourage and and strengthen them for the work that is to continue. Uh, and, and, and the other part of that is Peter wanted to set up, um, set up booths and worship. You know, he wanted to, I mean, this is, this is what we came to be about. We, I mean, this is who we want to follow. And Jesus went back down and ultimately to the cross. We, we are in this life about our father's business. And oftentimes it means taking up your cross and suffering. And it's not that, you know, the, the mountaintop experience all the time. God That's knows right. when you need him. Yeah. But it's not, you know, oftentimes you're in the valley doing the work. And in Mark, it's immediately, immediately, immediately rushing and doing the work. I don't think it's any coincidence either that uh, the the three that form the inner circle uh, ultimately are responsible for seven of the books of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, you know, we, we don't see Bartholomew, you know, in the inner circle and never to be seen or heard from again or, you know, any of the, the sort of the, the apostles that were not in the inner circle uh, writing, you know, too many of the books of the Bible. And so that's not a coincidence, you know, that Jesus knew, uh, the end from the beginning, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and he knew that these three that, that form his inner circle would be instrumental in the foundation of the church. And, and I would word that more. He ordained, right? I mean, there is an ordinance. Did I not choose you the 12? Right. And, and one of you is, is a devil. So, so he chose each disciple, ordained, first of all, before the foundation of the world, but, all, but chose them for a specific task. Right. Uh, and then, you know, took them aside and, and ministered to them in unique ways. And Judas was a part of that choosing. Did I not choose you the 12? It doesn't say, did I not choose you the 11? It says, did I not choose you the 12? And one of you is a devil. So he was, even Judas was chosen for a very specific purpose. All, all right. right. So um, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. What do we make of that? Um, I, I, that's, that's, Pretty self-explanatory to Help me. Help us understand unclean spirit. Yeah, I, I don't know because in one sense we're all unclean. Well, that's kind you of know. why I asked. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> so in John, go. in John thirteen, you have the the washing of the of the feet of the disciples, and when Peter finally does say, you know, hey, if he he rejects it, he you're not touching my feet. And when Jesus explains to them that you'll have nothing to do with me, I mean, you you need this cleaning. Uh, and he says, then wash all of me. No, 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 you don't need that cleaning. You have been washed. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not... You're, you're clean in that sense. Now, again, your feet still touch the earth. They're still, you know, you still struggle practically with sin, even as a follower of me. You will struggle practically with sin. You need to be, have your feet washed, but you have been washed. This is a person that is separated from God, totally. And in this case, uh, under the influence of, of the devil, demonic activity, a yeah. demonic spirit. Yeah, what's interesting is, um, one, uh, we're, we're getting ready to start a series on, you know, the Holy Spirit, 
on Wednesday nights here and uh, just looking at the spiritual gifts and, and all of those things, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit kind of. One of the things in my study, and we know this intuitively, but maybe haven't really given this a lot of thought, we have a spirit. Uh, when, when God breathed the breath of life into man, that word breath, as you know, or breathe, Nuba, yeah. spirit, Ruba. breathe, wind, I mean, yeah. it's the same Hebrew word. And, uh, and, and so one of the marks of life is that we have breath. Nobody alive is not breathing. You know, so death is representative by a absence of breath. And so the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I don't know what you make of that verse, but what it seems is that when our breath ends, our spirit leaves, and that word uh, uh, absent I looked at literally means out of home. And so it is if our spirit leaves the bodily home, this tent, as Paul would say. Yeah, we know the tent, that if the tent that is our yeah. earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Yeah. For a while we were in this tent, we groan, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. the spirit seems to leave the body and is then present with the Lord until the return of Christ. Right. Is that kind of your understanding of that? Yeah. I, yes. But there there is the physical breath and then there is the, the spiritual pneuma that you know we, we are spiritual beings. But this, when the physical breath ends in our body, the spiritual being doesn't doesn't die. Right. The physical body dies, but the spiritual be, we are spiritually present with God. And one day we will be, we will be reunited with a with a glorious glorified body. Right. Oh, that day. Oh, I long for that day. Yeah. All right. Um, so an unclean spirit. This is not his spirit. It doesn't seem. This is a another spirit. Spirit. Yeah. That one that's not clean. So what type well, of spirit? Well, but he's he's also has an unclean spirit, but he's being indwelt by a, a foreign unclean spirit. So what types of spirits do we learn about in Scripture, Gavin? I, you probably would be able to list off some of the spirits that the Bible talks about. Uh, well, there's, there's one here. Yeah, an unclean. Right. Um, there there are spirits that deceive, so we are to test you know the spirit. Lying spirits. Yeah, lying spirits, deceiving, deceitful spirits. What else? Evil I, spirits. Yeah. Yeah, you you're you're doing go through them, but there's also uh, there's angels. Now those are not spirits in this sense, but there are angels, and we know that there are fallen angels. So, good so angels, there are spiritual beings, right? And there is our we are we are in some we are spiritual beings as well. We have a spirit, a body, right? Soul, mind, spirit. Are you bipartite or tripartite? Do you believe in three body, uh, soul, and spirit, or do you believe that soul and spirit are basically synonymous? Yeah, I'm I'm bipartite. Yeah, I drift there, and I'd have to hear the arguments for both. But I drift towards bipartite. I've seen you uptown drifting. Yeah, drifting. Yeah, yeah. Tokyo drift. Right. That's what my street name is. So, so we we and but there's also the divine spirit, the Holy Spirit. Yes, and that's certainly not what we see going on here. Not here, no. And the Holy Spirit is is yeah is distinct from us until we in Christ and by faith are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, hmm. with the Holy Spirit, and then we are in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in us. And so you kind of referred to uh, John, 1 John chapter 4, where those first three verses there speak of testing the spirits. Hmm. Uh, it, you know, and, and the idea behind that is it's not all spirits uh, are the same. They're not all equal. And the way we know the Holy Spirit uh, is that he testifies uh, that the Christ is risen, that, that Jesus is. And, and I would say that 
um, that the Holy Spirit does not contradict God's Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit points us to God's Word, God the Father and God the Son, always. Yeah, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, we've said this so many times now, it's become a little trite, is that um, to be, uh, let let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is tantamount uh, in, in Ephesians of do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. There is a, there is a, that same sentence structure when it says, you know, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, those are the manifestation of both the, the word of God dwelling in you richly and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So, so there's a coupling of the spirit and the word, the Holy Spirit and the word of God, which um, <clears throat> it's, you know they're inseparable. They're they're not synonymous perfectly, but they are they're inextricably linked. So you've probably had people that that make claims that they are led to do things that are contradictory to Scripture. I once had had a woman tell me that she was feeling led by the Lord to leave her husband, uh, which by the way contradicts Scripture. Um, and I'm not saying that this person wasn't led by a spirit. Uh, it is certainly possible that this was simply their conscience or their desire that they were kind of churching up. Uh, but it is also possible that they were being led by a spirit, but that was not the Holy Spirit for sure. Yeah, you, you kind of stole my language that I, I, I talk about churching things up, making yeah. it sound a little well, more palatable. I, I didn't give churchy. you credit. Did you notice that? Yeah, I, I absolutely I'm, ripped you off. Did you really? Yes, I, I did. Oh, okay, okay. Because I honestly I, thought that was, you know, I, no, I, I, I'll do it tonight too. I'm not going to give you credit, but I am going to use that. Great, language. I love it. Yep. One of my favorite. Uh, uh, I, I do really appreciate that from me because I don't have much to offer other than God's word. But but I <laughs> but which is uh, obviously plenty to offer. But um, I, I, David Platt has long said, you know, when I first quote somebody, I'll say as Russ says. The next time I'll say as some pastor said, and lastly I'll say, well, as I always say. Right. You know, so all right, let's get back to it. So anyways, he was uh, uh, came out of the tombs, a man with – he had an unclean spirit. As you, I think, rightly said, his his spirit was unclean, but he, he seems to be indwelt with an unclean spirit. Yeah, for an, uh, an alien spirit. Because it says there in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs. So this man dwelt in these in – the, in the, like a, a graveyard – uh, but here's where we kind of get the idea. Which is he made his abode amongst the dead, yeah. right? You know what I'm saying? That that, that, yeah. that is that, that is not only a sign of, of the, the devious and deviant nature of the spirit, but also that this man is, is of the dead, not of the living right. at this point, right? And God is God of the living, living not, not of the, the dead, dead. Yeah. right? And he goes on to say, uh, no one can bind him, not even with chains, because he had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Um, and, and I think that we just have to acknowledge, um, we have to acknowledge that there is a real powerful enemy, and it's not just a spiritual power. There is a sense of a, a apparently a physical power that uh, a demon-possessed person possesses. Yeah, I think you go to Acts 19 and the seven sons of Sceva. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that we, you know, you were talking about spirits and, um, and, and my mind was just drifting to how we often don't contemplate spiritual reality. Yeah. We're very materialistic, even in the church. We're very, very materialistic. We're, you know, what we can what we can observe and and, and sense with the five senses. We can engage with and, and um, tangibly interact with 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 our five senses. Those we recognize, but when it comes to spiritual things, often we don't. So so let let's talk about 
the idea of there are spirits, unclean spirits, that in the flesh we have no ability to resist. Not with chains. We don't have the strength to subdue them, is what he's going to say later. We, we in the flesh don't have the power to resist these type, this type of spiritual activity. Of course, in the spirit, greater is he that is in us than, than he that is in the world. Amen. Certainly, the, the power of God is much greater than anything that the devil has to offer. The devil, even the devil is God's devil, as Luther said. Like the devil asked for permission in Job. The devil, when when God curses the devil in Genesis 3, he obeys, right? But we, in and of ourselves, in the flesh, we have nothing to defeat this uh, prowling, roaring lion that seeks to destroy. Yeah. In the spirit, of course, God does that fighting. He, we have a God that fights for us. And uh, we, in him, we are more than conquerors. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Back to it. And so it says nobody could tame this guy. And then in verse five, and we'll wrap up here, of course, always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so, you know, that tells us, obviously, this unclean spirit uh, may have been indwelling or is clearly indwelling this person, but did not have this person's best interest in mind. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we need to recognize in, in today's culture as well, that God is a healer. God is the restorer to shalom, perfect peace, and the way things ought to be. The Edenic state of things where everything functioned as it was created by God to function in the garden, right? That, that's shalom. That's the peace, the, the, but it's more than peace. It's the completeness that we would that we desire to return to. In Christ, we see some of that now. He, he has conquered the devil, and we will fully see it at the final eschaton, at the end of time, right? On that last day, we will, we will see this fully inaugurated, um, glorious end, the new heaven and the new earth. Um, but so the, the God is a healer and a restorer, and the devil is a destroyer and a divider. And we need to recognize that, that when you play around with these unclean spirits or when you are um, emulating your father, the father of lies, what Jesus would tell the Pharisees, you know, you are of your father, the devil. And he was, he was a liar from the beginning when we, that's a, sin is destructive. Amen. And and it's really interesting when, when um, Jonathan and David have this little pact and they're, you know, they love each other and, um, and, and they're trying to figure out if David is going to be welcomed back to the palace with Saul after Saul has this, you know, this evil spirit, this uh, destructive, dividing evil spirit, overwhelm him, uh, a troubling spirit actually from God. But Saul is, is, uh, takes his anger out on David, throws a spear at him, runs him out of the palace. And and then uh, Saul's son, Jonathan and David, who have this great relationship, they come up with a plan to to determine if David is going to be welcomed back. Uh, Saul at a feast where he notices that David is not there at a feast where Saul, the father notices that David uh, is not at this feast. He, He expresses some rage and he wants to kill him. And so Jonathan in this plot to, to reveal to David that his father does not welcome him back. Jonathan uh, and David finally meet as David is going to leave and he's going to leave everything that he knows. And Jonathan and David are broken. David more so than Jonathan, but both of them are broken. And I just thought of this, why is all this destruction happening? Why is David being, have to leave his own house and everything that, you know, that he's come to know it's the sin of Saul. Certainly David has his own sin, but this, do you understand how destructive sin is? And it doesn't just take you down with it. It destroys so many people around you. I mean, look at marriages that have been destroyed by sin 
And it doesn't just affect them, it affects the kids, it affects their friends who feel caught in the middle, it affects their, their jobs at times. Sin is destructive and it's, and it's harmful. And the weird thing about sin is, and we're told this, this is um, not only the deceitfulness of evil spirits, but the deceitfulness of sin, which we know about in Hebrews 3, there it is, is the deceitfulness of sin. Sin promises you, oh, it won't destroy you. Right. Remember the in the garden, the devil says, oh, you won't surely die. Yeah. And and it, I mean it. So so sin destroys the people around you. It destroys job, but it, it wants to destroy you too. Right. And we see a picture of that here. Right. So yeah. so this is self harming. Right. But but sin makes no sense. There's that's what I was getting to. There's a deceitfulness of sin where you think, oh, I can, I, you know, this isn't bad. It's trying to sin's goal is to destroy you. James one, and 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 I, you know, sin is not personified here. So the world, the flesh, and demonic activity, depending on your eschatology, whether it's the devil himself or demonic activity, the goal is destruction. I forget who said it, but uh, I've quoted this before. I just don't remember who who I got it from, but. Uh, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. And I, you know, I know that's trite and cliche and all that, but it's true. It's true, hundred percent true. Listener, thanks for joining us today. We're going to pick this conversation back up in in Mark chapter five tomorrow, or in the next episode with verse six. Uh, but you know, we just encourage you to think through. Uh, the ways in which we engage evil in the world, and in, in, in many cases invite uh, evil into our minds and in our thinking and, and even into our, our lives, and how destructive that is, not just to us, as Gavin just talked about, but, but to those around us, those that we care about. So uh, wrestle with these things, and um, we'll catch up with you in the next episode. Until then, God bless.